So a couple weeks ago, Jeremy started this series called My Kind of People. And uh, if you remember, two weeks ago, he talked about Paul and Silas and when they were in prison and um, the idea that they were worshipers and that free pe- freed people, free people. Was that what you said? Yeah, freed people, free people. And to that, God says, that is my kind of people. Then last week, I wasn't here, but I listened to the podcast just yesterday. And he talked about the centurion and the fact that we have to be people of faith. And to that, God says, that's my kind of people. And it was about three weeks ago that Jeremy asked me, he texted me and asked who my favorite Bible character was. I didn't know he was up to something when, when he asked that. And I, I told him probably David is my favorite Bible character. And that's when he asked me if I would preach tonight. So he was kind of luring me into this and then uh, dumped it on me that he wanted me to preach tonight. So I, I want to talk to you for a little bit tonight about King David. There, there were actually eight things that I came up with as, as I was putting this message together. And, um, but it seemed like some of those things were, were contrasting. So, so I ended up with kind of four points. And I, I'm going to tell you what those four things are and then dive into that a little bit. Uh, the first thing is that David was chosen, yet he was humble. The second thing is that he was a nonconformist. And when I say that, I say that because he was courageous, yet he was sensitive at the same time. He was loyal and he was steadfast. And the fourth thing is he was forgiven and forgiving. I I have several rather long portions of scripture that I'm going to read to you tonight. So I hope you'll bear with me if you want to follow along. The first one is in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Verses 1 through 13. Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and... Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for, for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemiah. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the the one that the Lord has chosen. 
In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons that you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. That's good motivation to go get him. We're not going to eat until you bring him to me. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, uh, came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So David was chosen, yet he was humble. David was anointed to be king when he was just a boy. He, he was a shepherd boy. He was chosen by God. Acts 13.22 says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to do. I want you to know today that you have been chosen by God himself. And some of, some of you, if you're like me, in, mostly in my younger years, I still do this to myself sometimes, you, you kind of think, well, yeah, God's chosen everyone here, but maybe not me. But God has chosen you. You have been chosen by God himself. He knows everything about you. He knows your sin. He knows your strengths. He knows the gifts that he's given you. And he still chooses you to be his own. I remember when, uh, how many of you know my son, Johnny? Everyone knows Johnny, right? He makes it hard not to be known. Um, Johnny was five and a half when he came to live with me and Debbie. Um, At five and a half years old, he weighed 30 pounds. He couldn't talk. He got over the 30-pound thing, and he obviously got over the not talking thing, if you know him very well. Um, It was about two years later that we adopted Johnny, and we had had an adoption celebration for him on his adoption day. And the the whole idea behind that celebration was to let him know that he was chosen, that out of all the kids in the entire world, we chose him. And that's the way it is with you and God. God looks at you, and he chooses you to be his. At the same time that David was chosen, he, he was also patient and he was unassuming. You know what he did after he was anointed to be king? He went back to the fields and became a shepherd again. He wasn't in a hurry. He was willing to wait until it was God's time. Seriously, how many of you, if you were told that you were going to be the king and you were anointed to be the king, how many of you wouldn't get just a little bit of attitude Along with that, it's like, hey, look at me. Hey, do you know who I am? Yeah. (laughs) How many of you would get a little attitude, a little arrogant? Uh, So David was chosen, and yet David was humble at the same time. And I want you to know that your road to success is to travel the road that God puts before you to do his thing in his time. And if you do that, you can't lose. So when you answer God's call, but you remain humble, God says, that's my kind of people. 
Here's the longest scripture I'm going to read to you tonight, so please bear with me. 1 Samuel um, 17, verses 12 through 51. I know. It's four screens full on my computer. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champions strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them, carry them quickly to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and with the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath The Philistine champion from Gath came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Are you getting the picture of what's going on here? Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Then David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Uh, I mean, that kind of caught his attention. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. David... um, What have I done now, David replied. I was just asking a question. Big brother, little brother kind of thing going on here. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. I'm halfway through. Are you still with me? Is anyone with me? Okay. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. This is a boy. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Now you have to understand, Goliath was about nine feet, nine inches tall. 
But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. And when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them all off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. This is a little kid talking to a guy that's nine feet, nine inches tall. I'm going to kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into a shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face downward on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. I say that David is a nonconformist because he was courageous, and yet at the same time he was sensitive. David killed a lion and a bear when he was just a shepherd boy, and he slew Goliath when he was just a boy. He showed great courage, and and, um, I mean, he, he was just tough as nails. But David was also a poet, and he was a musician. He played the harp for Saul. How many of you know that David played a harp for Saul? Saul kind of went crazy um, at one point in his life, and the only thing that would calm him down from, from these mental states that he got into was when David would play his harp. David was a worshiper, so he was tough, and yet he felt things very deeply. I want you to know that you shouldn't ever let anyone put you into a box. Don't let their expectations limit you. Live beyond the stereotypes that people place on you. How many times do you look at someone who's a jock and you think they must be really stupid? You know, if they're tough, they can't be very smart, you know. And how many times do you 
look at someone who, who's kind of artsy and you think, well, they can't be very athletic. Or you look at someone who, who's a brainiac and, and just think they don't do anything but sit and, and read books. You know, we, we give these stereotypes to people, but you have to live beyond the stereotypes. You don't have to live up to anyone's expectations other than the creator of the universe who knit you together in your mother's womb. Be who God made you to be. For those of you who don't feel like you're good enough, you are good enough. Because where you lack, he makes up the difference. You're good enough. You're good enough. You're good enough. You're good enough. Every single one of you, you are good enough. Because the God of the universe put you together. He created you to be a certain way. And all you have to do is be that. Don't be limited by other people's expectations of you. 2 Samuel 24, verses 10 and 17 through 24. This is a little shorter. After he had taken the census, David's conscience began to bother him. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. God had told him not to do it, and he chose to go ahead and do it. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. And you know what happened next? David had to choose the punishment for his people because of his disobedience. He was given three choices of of punishments by God. And because of his choice, there were 70,000 people killed in a period of three days. Verse 17, when David saw the angel, he said to the Lord, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong, but these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Let your anger fall against me and my family. That day Gad came to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. When Arana saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, my lord, the king? Arana said. David replied, I have come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. Take it, my lord, the king, and use it as you wish. Arana said to David, here are oxen for the burn offering, and you can use the threshing boards and ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. But the king replied to Arana, no, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. David was loyal and he was steadfast. Even after Saul tried to kill him. How many of you know Saul tried to kill David? He threw spears at him uh, when they're in the cave. Um, Saul tried to kill David, and yet David stayed with him and even continued to serve him. He, he was Saul's servant even after Saul tried to kill him. He, he was loyal. He was faithful. He was steadfast. 
David sought out Mephibosheth to honor his promise to his best friend Jonathan. When his best friend Jonathan had died, he looked for a descendant of Jonathan's that that he could bring um, to um, to his table to to eat with him because he had made a promise to Jonathan. And even after Jonathan's death, he sought out Mephibosheth so that he could fulfill that promise. He was loyal and he was steadfast. David offered his own life in those verses to save his people. Your loyalty to God and to your friends is a virtue that matters to God himself. One-way relationships really aren't relationships at all. God gives to us all the time, and yet it, it is incumbent on us to give back to him, to be loyal, to be steadfast, and to always serve him. Find a friend that challenges you to be God's man or God's woman that will pray with you with you and for you and that will confront you when you're wrong. And I didn't ask him if, if I could do this, but uh, the last few months, Jordan has, and I have been kind of prayer partners. And at 10 o'clock every night, our, our alarms go off on our phones and, and we pray for each other. And, and it's been such a unique experience for me. And a few months ago, I, I was going through probably the lowest time I've, I've ever experienced in my life. And after Pathfinders on a Monday night, um, Jordan knew something was wrong. And he just kind of hung around after everyone else left. And he came and sat down in my office. And just with, with tears just streaming down his face, he began to speak into my life. And, you know, I'm one who, who tries to give to other people all the time, but, but to, to have someone pour back into me. I mean, Jordan's 17 years old, you know. It's not supposed to be this way. But, but he poured back into me because he's loyal and he's steadfast. David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, and he was single-mindedly committed to serving the Most High God. You need to set your face like flint. Make up your mind that you're going to serve Jesus Christ every day of your life, no matter what. The stories told of Alexander the Great. Have you ever heard of Alexander the Great? Anyone? Okay. So the stories told of Alexander the Great, who lived several centuries before Christ, um, as, as he was conquering the known world, he came to a, a strongly fortified walled city, and Alexander, standing outside the walls, raised his voice and hollered for the king of, of that city to, to come out. He wanted to see him. And when the king arrived, Alexander insisted that the king surrender. Well, they're, they're inside this fortified walled city. And the king just laughed, why should I surrender to you? You can't do us any harm. But Alexander offered to give the king a demonstration. So he ordered his men, he had about a hundred men with him, and he ordered his men to line up single file facing a cliff. And he ordered them to start marching. And he marched them straight toward this cliff, and one by one, they plunged to their deaths until the tenth one plunged to his death, and then he stopped them, and his men came back to his side. After ten soldiers died... 
Um, Alexander ordered the rest of his men to return to his side, and the townspeople and the king immediately surrendered to Alexander the Great because they realized that if a few men were actually willing to commit suicide at the command of this dynamic leader, then nothing could stop his eventual victory. Loyal and steadfast. Psalm 51, 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me, wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back, oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. David was forgiven and he was forgiving. David committed adultery with a lady named Bathsheba. And you know how that happened? It started with his eyes. Because he, he saw her bathing one day, and he gave in to lust, and he committed adultery with her, and, and she became pregnant. And then in an attempt to cover up his sin, he called for her husband, Uriah the Hittite, who, who was in, in David's army. He called for him to come back, and he tried to encourage him to sleep with her so that because she was pregnant, he wouldn't think it was someone else's. Um, and um, that didn't happen. So he ended up sending Uriah to the front lines to be killed. And Uriah was killed. So Nathan the prophet came to David um, and confronted David by telling him a story. Any of you know the story? Okay, kind of. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll I'll give you the highlights here. I'll I'll read bits and pieces of it. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man had, had many sheep, but the poor man only had one sheep that he had bought. Excuse me. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate, it ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd to feed the guest, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Then David became incensed and and he vowed that any man who, as surely as the Lord lives, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And then David looked, Nathan looked David in the eye and said, you're the man. And he confronted him with his sin. And, and, um, and David 
confessed his sin. David was forgiven because he repented. He turned around. So what should our response to sin be? I want to show you a video. See how we're doing? Oh, we're good. I'm actually going to be down early tonight, Jeremy. That's a first. I want to show you a video. Jessica is going to put it up here, and uh, we're going to talk about our response to sin. (laughs) That sounds great. (laughs) Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Well, I I can almost guarantee you that that our session won't last the full, uh, the full five minutes. Now, um, <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in, in cash or by check. Wow, okay. And, uh, and I, I don't make change. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and go. <laughs> go. Well, tell what? me. Tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just I start thinking about being buried alive, and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what what you're saying is you're uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, Yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Kasman. I'm I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in into your life. Shall I uh, write them down? Well, if, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. Here, here they are. Stop it! <laughs> I'm sorry. Stop it! Stop it! Yes. S T O P. New word. IT. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. <laughs> stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, you, you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that... Sounds Then stop it. I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since childhood. No, child. no, no. We, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. So I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good go. Well, it's only been, it's only been three minutes, so that will be um, uh, three dollars. I only have a five, so. Well, I, I, don't, I don't make change. Then I, I guess I'll take the full five minutes. Fine. All right. Well, what other uh, problems would you would you like to address? <clears throat> Whew, uh, I'm bulimic. I stick my fingers down my throat. Stop it! <laughs> Not a 
don't do that. But I'm, I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me. No, Daddy. no, no. No, no we, di- we don't go there. But I've been having this dream. No, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say... We definitely don't go there. Just, just stop it. What, what, what else? Well, I have self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it! You, you want to be with a man, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yes. Well, then stop it. Don't be such a big baby. I wash my hands a lot. That's all right. It is? I, I wash my hands all the time. There's a lot of germs out there. Uh-huh. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't worry about that one. I'm afraid to drive. Well, stop it! Uh-huh. How, how are you going to get around? Get in the car and drive, you, you kook! Stop it! Stop it! You stop it! What's, what's the problem, Pat? I don't like this. I don't like this therapy at all. You're just telling me to stop it. And, and, you, and you, don't, you don't like that? No, I don't. So you think we're, we're moving too fast, is that it? Yes. Yes, I do. All right, then let me, uh, let me uh, give you ten words that I, I think will uh, clear everything up for you. Uh, you want you want to get a pad and a pencil for this one? Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, here are the ten words. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box! <laughs> I've always liked that video. So what should our response to sin be? Stop it. If you're living in sin, you need to repent. You need to turn around. You need to stop it. There's no sin that you've ever committed that God is unable or unwilling to forgive. If you're looking at pornography, God doesn't like it, but God will forgive. If you are in sexual sin, if you're lying, you're cheating, even murder, God is willing and able to forgive. God forgave David when he had Uriah killed. We just need to stop it. You need to accept his forgiveness because he offers it freely to you. David forgave Saul after Saul tried to kill him, and he stayed with him and even served him. David forgave his son Absalom when he rebelled. He even brought him back into the family. If someone's wronged you, then find a way to forgive them. Ask for God's help to forgive. Some of you have heard this story before, but um, it bears repeating, if you're okay with that. Even if you're not, I'm going to repeat it anyway. So, um, I don't know, two, two or three years ago, and I, I told you that um, Debbie and I adopted Johnny um, when the adoption was when he was about seven and a half. Actually, last week was the anniversary of his adoption, but um, he was raised by two parents uh, that were both mildly mentally retarded. But his uh, his dad, he 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 calls his mom old mom, Debbie's mom, 
his old mom is old mom, and his old dad is Dennis. He, he doesn't even call him dad. Anyway, he was terrified of Dennis. And would, when Johnny would go to bed at night, uh, we'd have to let him fall asleep on our bed because uh, he would feel safe there. And then when we went to bed, he'd be asleep, and I'd carry him into his bed. And it was okay. But he was afraid that Dennis was going to climb in his bedroom window and shoot him with a gun. Um, he, he was a sick dude. A couple years ago, we got a phone call from Johnny's sister, Sandy, uh, that Dennis was on his deathbed. And um, she, um, the, the hospital had called, and uh, Dennis wanted to see Johnny and Sandy. And Johnny hadn't seen him since the day before he moved in with us when he was five and a half. So it had been many, many, many years. And Debbie and I talked. We weren't sure if we should tell him or, or what, but we decided to tell him and ask him if he wanted to go. And we were really surprised because he said he wanted to go and, and see his dad. And a little bit later, I got a, a text from Nick Martin uh, saying, I'm praying for you. And I was like, how'd you know? You know what? And Johnny had called him crying um, and told him that he needed to hear his dad tell him that he was sorry. So I drove Johnny down to the hospital, and um, his sister got caught in traffic, so it was a while, and we were waiting in this waiting room um, outside the emergency room, and the, the chaplain came in and, and everything, and finally Johnny's sister got there, and the doctor came in, and his dad had died just a little bit before, so we never got to see him while he was still alive. They asked if uh, Johnny and Sandy wanted to see the body, and surprisingly, again, they did. So we walked back there, and it was creepy gross. You know, one eye was open, one was closed, and they still had the tube in his throat, and it was kind of creepy. And Johnny just stood at the head of, of the gurney, just staring at this man who had terrorized him his whole life, uh, the first five and a half years of his life. And he just just stared for the longest time. And the nurse was talking to him, and, uh, and he just kept looking. And we got ready to leave, and, and Johnny got to the door and was just stepping out of the door, and he just didn't about face, and he walked back up to the head of the bed again and, and looked just for another minute. And when, when we left, he said, Dad, you know what I said when I, when I walked back in the room and, and looked, at, looked at Dennis? He said, I told him, I forgive you. That is the heart of someone who knows God. It's the best example of forgiveness that I've ever known. David was forgiven, but he was also forgiving. And that's part of what made him a man after God's own heart. You want to start that music? When you realize that you've been chosen by God and you humbly answer his call, God says, that's my kind of people. When you break the mold and be who God created you to be, God says, that's my kind of people. When you're single-mindedly faithful to your friends, your family, and to God himself, no matter what the cost, God says, that's my kind of people. And when you repent of your sin and you forgive others of theirs, God says, that's my kind of people. That's what makes you a man 
for a woman after God's own heart. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know about you, but I want to be a man after God's own heart because that is God's kind of people. Some of you don't feel worthy to have been chosen by God. And you still doubt his call on your life. And you can get that straight tonight. We're, we're going to have, um, actually, if our leaders would just come up to the front, that would be awesome. If you don't feel worthy, or you doubt his call on your life, we want to pray for you tonight. Because you are chosen by him. And he has called you. Some of you are, have limited yourselves by other people's expectations. And you need to allow yourself to be who God made you to be. And, and put those expectations of other people aside. And we want to pray for you tonight. Some of you have been hurt by friends. They've abandoned you. Or maybe you've abandoned them. And if you're having problems with with those kinds of relationships, with the loyalty and faithfulness in relationships, we want to pray for you. And some of you are in sin and need to repent of your sin. And some of you need to forgive other people of their sin. And we want to pray for you tonight.